Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf. This is that time of the week when we join our mothership, Deep State Radio, the one that started it all, with the people that started it all. That would be Corey Shockey, the American Enterprise Institute. How are you doing, Corey? I am exceedingly well. Thank you, David. Excellent. And Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm great, David. I love 2023. It's been a great year. Wow. Wow. Somebody started their pre-holiday celebrations a little early, <laughs> apparently. And, of course, Edward G. Luce of the Financial Times. How are you doing, Ed? I'm great. Thank you, David. Um, so we want to look back at the year. Um, and uh, we did, we've been doing this every year that we've done this, and maybe we've done it eight times. And in the week before Christmas, we sort of look back, and then the next week we kind of look forward. And I just want to sort of help everybody put into some kind of perspective all the things that have happened that might resonate in the future. Um, So, you know, we've had war in Ukraine. We've had Israel-Gaza war. We've just had the end of the COP meeting. We've had um, a variety of elections in different places across Europe and Argentina. Um, We've had purges in the Chinese government. We've, you know, had all sorts of things going on. We've had the hottest summer in memory. And I just thought, let's go around with uh, each of you and um, and and say, what do we think happened this year that people might see as significant 10 years from now or beyond that? Uh, let me start with you, Corey. Oh, um... I think the president of the United States having 91 counts of indictment leveled against him in several different court cases and nonetheless retaining what may well be an a winning electoral support base. I think 
you know, there's a terrific book I've written about the Roman Empire called The Fall Before the Fall. Um, and this fall, I've been thinking about that a lot, watching my fellow conservatives continue to say that they would uh, reelect our disgraced former president. That feels really big to me. And, I'm, and the number of uh, allies I have talked to who conclude that the greatest geopolitical risk for their countries is the re-election of Donald Trump in the United States. Well, that's depressing. I hope, I, I'm really not looking forward to your just- forty crown of entropy. Today. Yeah, yeah, well, Rosa will fight you for it, but I, I'm really not looking forward to hearing your pro- prognostications for next year based on that one. <laughs> Um, when I said 2023 had been a great year, what I meant was if you are aware of the thorny crowd of entropy and, and you know, are, are sort of ticking boxes to prepare for the apocalypse, it's been a great year. Yeah, yeah right. And, and for those of you who've been listening all year, Rosa has spent most of the year mysteriously out in Wyoming digging a <laughs> hole in her backyard. So, <laughs> you know, draw your draw your own conclusions there. Ed, what are you when you look back at this year um, in the sort of public events, what do, what do you see? Um, well, Corey stole my, um, I mean, the, the, the one that I think is probably at the top of all of our minds. Um, so I'm not going to I'm not going to elaborate. She put it very succinctly. Um, you know, something's just happened, which I'm perhaps too jaded to take seriously, but maybe 10 years from now will be seen as a landmark. And that's the climate change summit, the COP28 in the United Arab Emirates produced two words for the first time, fossil fuels, uh, the promise to transition, non-binding promise to transition away from fossil fuels. And there's a lot of fuss about it. Um, I fail to see why, you know, these two words, which should have been used half a century ago, um, and the fact that they're non-binding, um, is that exciting? Um, but, um, you know, I'm not the expert. And the people who've been negotiating this and the people that, it, it, at this vast event in uh, in the Emirates do seem to think it's significant that every country signed on to it, and maybe a decade from now we will see it as such. Um, I I think the other thing I'd mention because I know we're going to get into to many issues, but the other thing I'd mention is in a in a, a vaguely sort of optimistic light is that the year of of U.S. China bilateral relations began with Balloon Gate and really sort of quite bleak trajectory, has ended on a much more stable footing. Um, And I hope that a decade from now, this will be seen uh, as a a turning point. But of course, um, you know, what Corey highlighted in 2024 US election would change everything of of, of both, well, of everything, but including the two things I have highlighted. Oh, yeah, since one of the things that Trump says is on day one, Drill, baby, drill. He's really apparently into drilling. Um, he wants to and being a dictator. Yeah, for one day though, he didn't. You know, one he's day. just going to be a dictator for a day, and then he'll stop. Uh, and what will he be? Makes after me feel that? so much better. Yeah, uh, I mean, just one point on what Ed said. You know, uh, as far as COP twenty eight goes, if you look back at the other editions of COP. It's really hard to get multilateral fora to agree on anything. And most of them have agreed on much less of substance. 
So, you know, I mean, non-binding is non-binding, but uh, nobody expected this 36 hours ago. So it is a kind of... That's true. Although it has been pointed out to me that the first of these UN annual meetings was in 1988 in Toronto, and the 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 two words fossil fuels were used in that. So this isn't actually the first time. Yeah, oh, that's true. Although this, the, the, I think the words that are more significant here is the the call to phase out. Right, they look to phase them out, which is the transitioning away. Right. Yeah, and 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 the the language around that, which was not commit to phasing them out, but at least it was, you know, pointing people in the right the same direction. Anyway, Rosa, what about you? I mean, every. Every time we do this, you say, I want to go last so that I can come up with something great. But when they're lists like this, going last That's is not fair because then everybody takes all the good stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. I mean, Corey took one of my favorites, which is the, you know, the end of American democracy and the end of American global leadership. Um, um, well, I, I think, um, I mean, Ukraine and recent recent events in the Middle East are, I think, almost too obvious to mention. We spent a lot of time talking about those. But but I do think um, the rise of AI is a significant one for this year. You know, this this was the year that, you know, chat GPT and so, you know, all of this stuff suddenly became became real and big and began to affect people's lives. And it's going to have, you know, far reaching impact, both in ways that we already can predict and in ways that we can't predict. Uh, on 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 global politics as well as on you know scientific developments et cetera et cetera um, you know in terms of global politics it's going to have far reaching impact when it comes both to you know, surveillance capabilities of states and and misinformation and disinformation capabilities so I would throw that one into the mix um, you know to counter because I can't stand to let Ed get away with offering an optimistic thing related to climate mm-hmm. I feel I should also note that it was a year of really unprecedented uh, climate change-related catastrophes around the globe uh, this year, too. I think that this year became sort of impossible to any longer think of uh, the impact of climate change as being something around the corner, uh, and it became, this is now, this is, this is happening, this is, this is our world. It's already, you know, we've, we've already crossed some thresholds uh, when it comes to the impact on our climate. So that yeah, was supposed yeah. to be my contributions. Yeah, th- that was good news, but it's too late. Yeah, it was good news, Ed. Nice try. Yeah, uh, well, um, people, you know, compliment me for trying. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You get a gold star for trying. Uh, Corey, there are a lot of events we've talked about this year as being very significant that probably aren't. Um, for example, and I, you know, this is, People might be disgusted to hear me say this, but there are a lot of wars in Gaza. They don't change anything. You know, do you, do, do, do you think that, you know, some of these things that have occupied our time are actually going to look back and go, no, that really wasn't much. That wasn't what we cracked it up to be. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that's true of a whole bunch of things we have spent time on. You know, one of the mysteries for me as somebody occasionally practicing the dark art of history is how often people think there is a history and and if you have a different view or you expand the aperture or you uh, include the stories and sources that were excluded previously, that somehow that's... Um, 
doing something different. Whereas that's what historians do, right? Like we're always turning the kaleidoscope and seeing how the colors look differently. And over time, historical events get emphasized or de-emphasized um, based on what we can't know now, but will know in the future. And also, I've been reading Ann Patchett's wonderful collection of essays. Um, and she talks about she talks a lot about time and how in in writing her novels that figuring out the starting point and the ending point and it really i notice in my own work it makes a big difference where you think a story starts and where you think a story ends and also our our social judgments change with time and that's a beautiful thing um that that is scary but also you know, our children's generation and their children's generation are going to sit in judgment of us and be aghast at the things that we thought were normal. So, so yes, that is a long filibustering way of not choosing a single or a couple of events, but giving grand sweeping uh, theory to it, David. Well, that's grand sweeping theory, Ed. What do you think? Corey says some of the stuff that we think is important isn't. Well, you know, uh, that famous um, Chow Enlai, the Chinese leader, asked him um, what he thought of the French Revolution, and he said it's too early to tell. <laughs> and we all thought, oh, that's so funny. That Well, we didn't. I wasn't alive. But, you know, we, we <laughs> well, most most people thought, oh, that's but you really, really funny. It's the Chinese, just such classical Chinese long-term view of history because uh, the French Revolution happened in 1789. He was actually asked that question in 1968, and he thought he was being asked. About the Wait events. Wait You weren't alive in 1968. I was born on June the first, 1968, when Hey Jude was number one, and the left bank was being occupied. So uh, I thought it was, a, it was a good moment to be born. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember Cho and I actually making that comment. I remember reading about it, and then one of my colleagues, uh, many years later, got a scoop from the interpreter and the Chinese foreign minister saying, "No, no, he was talking about." the current French uh, agitation in the, in the, um, but anyway, he was right in the first misinterpretation. You know, it's really way too early to tell. So much of uh, the debate about Gaza has been about the day after. And I think it's really the, the five, 10 years after um, that, that's going to matter because there is no quick solution um, to this. And if we do get an Israeli government, that um, has a more constructive view um, of of the kind of Palestinian interlocutor it wants. That will take years to build up, and the trust, all the things that could go wrong are just too too numerous to mention. But the trust and the um, risk taking and the patience it would take to turn this Gaza event into something um, less destructive. Will, will t would take years to bear fruit. So it is too early to tell with Gaza, except to say this is worse than previous Gaza. It's very, very much worse than anything that's gone on before in Gaza. Well, that's, you know, that's almost an answer to this question. You, you want to take a shot there, Rosa? What, what was I your question? I've forgotten your question, yeah, David. Exactly. Exactly. So is everybody. Just so much of, the things, of the things that have been in the news, that we have spent a lot of time thinking about, 
do you cite, cite any among them for being just not that important in the long run? I actually don't think that the changing relations, the various tensions with China are going to matter much in the long run. I, I'm going to make a prediction. And of course, you know, in January 1st, 2024, I will be proven wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it and hope it lasts for more than one day of the next year. You know, I, I don't think I don't think China is going to invade Taiwan. I don't think they want to. I don't think they have any intention of doing that. I don't think we can afford to just then shrug our shoulders and say, OK, good. So we don't need to prepare. I think we still do need to prepare. But I think it's extraordinarily unlikely. And I think that a lot of the storm and drawing about China uh, that we've had over the course of this year. Uh, is going to seem, you know, in in five years and ten years, like, oh, why were we all so hysterical about that? You know, this was actually much more business as usual than we realized. Um, so that's the only one I'm I'm sort of prepared to cautiously say uh, we spent a lot of time worrying about something this year that I don't think is going to prove to be that significant in the future. Um, but of course, my my batting average on predictions is extremely poor, so listeners should probably pay no attention to me. No, I remember at the beginning of the year, you said there's no way Taylor Swift dates Travis Kelsey. And then, look. oh, no, I totally predicted that. You don't understand, David. I live in a house full of Swifties. So that one, I was all over that one. Oh, no. Oh, sad. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Okay, Corey, this could be therapy. Like, what is frightening you from the past year? Like, what's. Um, and is what? it to do with Taylor Swift in any way? Because Taylor Swift actually does frighten me quite a lot. And I should add that today, as we record this, uh, is the 34th birthday of Taylor Swift, Times person. Oh, happy birthday, Tay-Tay. Most powerful woman in the world. Yeah, go on. Uh, so I side with Peggy Noonan that I think Taylor Swift is a force for good. Um, and so, uh, so and I still went- very, very frightening. <laughs> okay. The thing I am frightened that we now think is incredibly important that may prove inconsequential is the self-congratulation of the United States and the countries in the West at the way we came together to support Ukraine in their fight against Russia's invasion. That was Uh, so 2023, Corey. Yeah, that's so 2023. Unity, Unity in support of Ukraine. Yeah, that's your frightening me because Ed's column today was about this and it was very disturbing. And it was disturbing on two counts. One, he absolutely captured the resistance to continuing to support Ukraine and what that could mean in terms of undoing all the progress that we made. And two, I was in the middle of writing a column on the same thing. And it's now like, how am I going to do that? Like, I, you know, I mean, it's. And you're such a spoiler. It really, it's like, it's not fair. Couldn't you, you know, call me in advance? First, this is not the first time David has raised this. Is it possible that Ed is hacking? <laughs> I think it's I, more I'm, than possible, Corey. I'm secretly bugging his uh, videoed podcasts. Um, and just, just like purloining ideas left, right, and center. Especially <laughs> Preferably left. left and center. Yeah. Yes. Now, having having said that, the fact is, we talk to each other all the time, you know, doing these podcasts and everything. Of course, we're thinking about the same things. But anyway, <laughs> what's fr- what's what's frightening you, Ed? Um, that that will turn out to be inconsequential. Um, no, you know, no, I, we've done I, no, no, we've we've done that one. 
We've done that one. We're now <laughs> on to Hold just... on a minute. Hold on a minute. Can I just do another one of those? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> I, I think I think we've watched way, way too many futuristic films, and we've just we keep sort of blending them with AI um, articles, and I think we're just way too frightened of AI. I think we're uh, the the idea that it's going to be sort of you know, running our lives in the very near future is, I think, overstated. Um, uh, and it frightens but, me. But what if it doesn't run our lives at it, if it just renders all of our jobs completely redundant? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it will. <laughs> I, think, I think the history of technology is jobs adapt around it. Um, well, so let I, me ask I, you a question. You know AI, you know what it's doing now. It's going to, you know, it can project it out over a couple of years. What percentage of columnists do you think will be put out of work by AI? I think about 95% would deserve to be. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and on certain days, I would include myself in that number. Um, but right now, right now, chat GPT columns um, are very easy to spot. Yeah, by the way, you know, gotta... you're, missing, you're missing an opportunity here, Ed. Like I saw that Ian Bremmer of Eurasia Group gave a state of the world address. It's like, why don't you give a state of the world address, Ed? I mean, um, it, it wasn't just state of the world, was it? It was like, um, it was a, a set piece. I can't remember what it was described as, but the drum roll was quite dramatic. Yeah, no, no, it's, I, I'd love to hear everybody's state of the world piece here. I, I got a little email from, uh, you know, there's some website, Authory, which, which sort of collects your stuff for some reason. And I, they sent me an email saying, congratulations, you're a human. You've been certified as actually appearing to have the hallmarks of a human who wrote these things that you claim to have written. But, Ed, I don't know if there's really any evidence that, that you are. So. I was just uh, going to say, was it in your own case? I think I might question the methodology. <laughs> well, I, I would, they gave I, me a certificate I, that I could frame. I'm going I'm to give a state of the world address, Rosa. And when you... Watch me awkwardly, modestly trying to fend off the repeated <laughs> standing ovations. You'll realize how oh. human I am. I, I, oh. It would just be whole time people from both parties. They will just be leaping <laughs> to their feet. And you will then realize that's a very human sort of embarrassment. A machine couldn't <laughs> be that modest, surely. No, no, no. I've no. seen some of Ed's, Ed's talks that he gives. And it, it always invariably ends with him throwing parts of his garment into the audience. <laughs> yeah, there's boxer shorts. They come straight out. <laughs> what happens if somebody in the audience catches them in? Like, what if, what if Ian Grammer caught them? Yeah. yeah exactly. This is getting way out of control. It's really, like, you know, like, like my audiences. Like my yeah, audience. They, they okay. always do it. They always like, do but, this is like a parable, though, for what AI could be like, Ed. I mean, you think it's going to be controllable, and then it's not. So there you have yeah. it. Yeah. I okay. Okay. Yeah, and nice I, I got to say, Ed, you were <laughs> you and Corey were not at our event with Jake Sullivan this week, and um, and Jake I would was, like to say, in his defense, that he did not throw any garments out to the audience. Thank, thankfully, thankfully. Um, but Rosa was sitting in the first row, just in case. Um, I but was one of the arms things, up. One of the things people said, like, what are you worried about? And he said, we, we need to focus more on generative AI. He, I mean, he framed that as one of the big issues. I, 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 and that was an answer to my question was specifically um, 
Jake, we've been talking about Israel and Hamas. We've been talking about Ukraine. What is not on the front pages that people are not talking about right this minute that keeps you awake at night worrying? And that was actually his answer, which was in, which I thought was interesting. Uh, uh, how did he elaborate on that? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ed. Oh, sorry. I was just wondering what what how did Jake then elaborate on on generative AI as the answer? Uh, didn't say. I mean, his answer was brief given the the setting, but it was essentially generative AI, both the possibilities of disinformation, misinformation, the impact of AI on on sort of weapon system development, um, scientific innovation, both in the hands of good guys and bad guys, the yeah, sort of further global, further global super empowerment global, of individuals. Global destruction was also global much. destruction, right? The end of the human human race and possibly of the universe itself. That was all. Yeah, that, that sounds okay. I feel like <laughs> um, gener- you know, talking about AI doom and the future is a way for smart people to feel smart. When no, I feel dumb when I to- talk about it, though. It makes me feel dumber. <laughs> All I can say I feel- is, since I've been like writing a book on this for a year, I got to say, it has, I'm not feeling smarter at the end of that year, but... Um, in fact, the, the, my my looking at it for the past year has led me to believe that it, the, the 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 quality of the response to the challenge has been very low. It, it is true, though, Corey. I think you're quite right. Do you remember those sort of you know juvenile middle school games people play where you have to append at the end of every sentence in bed? Um, it is true that in the foreign policy community today, what people append at the every se- at the end of every sentence is like. But how will AI change this? And that's the way that you can sound sophisticated in any meeting as you nod sagely and you you sort of go, well, that's very interesting. But really, I, how does AI change this? And that's really goes, good. Oh, and yeah, four, five, huh. four or five years ago, it was blockchain. Literally right. every sentence ended with blockchain. I know it's very different. And David, I do. I think your book is important and entirely valid. Yeah, so I'm being, I'm a, I'm being a bit facetious here. I'm going to go out and I don't know. That he thinks your book is important, but David. he didn't get the idea and publish on it ahead of you, David. So um, he might just, it might just be empty flattery. Yeah, no, no. I'm really wary of this and I'm only talking about AI. So Ed will take the bait, go write a book on AI. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll do something else because I've got this been working for five years and a biography of this big Camp Brzezinski. That's really <laughs> it's which is coming out next February, by the way. It's gonna be blockbuster. I'm totally fucked. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of books, I it always you know, you guys are very literate, and so Surely in the past year, you've read something that you think was worth mentioning to our listeners as being of some value. Rosa, do you want to go first or last? No, I don't want to go at all. Well, you're <laughs> going to have to. You know, you no, were, I, I, yeah, I'm illiterate. I'm not, I'm not playing. <laughs> Corey, you always have 100 books. You're like, you're like smart and well-read. I read for a living. Uh, so let's see. Some of my favorite. By the way, you know who else read for a living? And I saw it again this weekend. Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor. Excellent. That's an excellent movie if you haven't seen it. Anyway, it is. It's a great movie. I haven't seen 
forever. So I'll go watch it. Thank you for that recommendation. Uh, so several things I have read that I, some of which I loved, some of which I ground my teeth about. Uh, a book I hated that I read this year, Samuel Huntington's Soldier and the State. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's a terrible indictment of the field of civil military relations that we teach this book as the foundation. Because Huntington seems fundamentally to believe that a competent military is incompatible with a free society. Um, and a good book that I read, uh, Elliot Cohen's Supreme Command, which is about how elected civilian leaders like Abraham Lincoln have been meddling in military affairs all along. And that's what made them excellent strategists and war-winning leaders. It feels like a long play repudiation of Huntington. Um, Other things I have read that I have really enjoyed, uh, Elliot Ackerman's new novel came out last summer uh, 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 called Halcyon which is a lot about on the theme, different varieties of inheritance. It deals with somebody, uh, you know, technology enabling people to live forever, but their, their ideas don't change at the speed society's ideas change and the way that trips them up. I thought that was a really interesting reflection. A wonderful novel that's not coming out until February that I got an early read of, Matt Gallagher's Daybreak, about Americans who go to fight in Ukraine's war to defend itself against Russia. A really beautiful novel about some difficult characters. I loved that. Do you want me to continue, David? Or or No, no. I would <laughs> like the others to pretend they've read a book. Ed, have you read a book? Well, you see, my reading's all been focused around my... Pro- well, until recently, I was writing this biography of Brzezinski. I, I, <laughs> recently, I recently abandoned the project. Um, <laughs> um, it was a tragic circumstance. Unexpected. Uh, Unexpected. Um, but but um, uh, a lot of my reading has been around, uh, you know, his life and therefore the Cold War, Um uh, and so I don't want to bore, and, and memoirs of other people and then books about Soviet his, historiography and so forth. Um, but the, the two books I'd I like to mention that aren't related to my recently abandoned Brzezinski project are uh, um, one, something I should have read years ago, but was prompted to read by the debate um, over American history and slavery, which is Simon Sharma's book, Rough Crossings. Um, uh, Great. The Saves the British and the American Revolution. It's a really interesting work of history and very and very valid now for you know this debate about um, American this controversy about American origins between 1619 and 1776. And the other is something I should have read years ago as well, um, which is my mother's self-published memoirs called Rose's Ramblings, and they're just for family. But um, I'm now I, my mother died last week, and I'm writing her obituary. And so, but very belatedly, and I don't know why it took me so long. I'm reading it. I'm absolutely enchanted and riveted. I'm well, sorry for okay. your loss. Yes, yeah. of course. Thank we, you. We are, we are all yeah. sorry for your loss. And we are all very happy that your mother left us you to remember her by. Here, um, is, here is the book. 
Rose. Oh, wow. Look yeah. at that. She was called Rose. Um, so, so. Yeah. Um, well, that's, so, this is the way it goes. You, you, you get interested in these things when it's a little late, seems to be the yeah. way of it. Yes. But no, she but, left her thinking about her own life for you, because so few of us actually get that from our parents. Yeah. And I remember at the time I was a bit skeptical, but um, now I'm totally not. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I frankly would like to read it myself. Uh, Rosa, now you've had some time to, you know, Google some <laughs> books. So which book? Well, you know, I've, I, like Ed, have been mostly reading around the subject of my new book project, which is on land, power, and belonging in the American West. So I have been reading a tremendous amount about the history of the American West. Uh, as well as current politics. And um, I will say, um, I recommend uh, a book called, uh, well, it's, it, what is it called? So, okay, now you're running into my my problem, which is that all I can say is there was this book by this guy and it was really good. Um, but, it, okay, hold on. No, it was called Empire of Shadows, the Epic Story of Yellowstone by George Black. I did just have to look up both the name and the author's name. But it was it was fascinating, and um, obviously, I think everybody knows how violent the the exploration of the American West was. But but one of the things that I think it, it reminded me very powerfully, um, which has some applicability to to our other topics today, um, and not only that book, but but many others on on the history of the West, is that this uh, essentially almost lawless violence um, is not very far in our past in this country, not far at all. You know, it's, it's, it's not quite in living memory, but, you know, our, it was, you know, our parents knew people who lived through it. Um, um, you know, our grandparents, parents generation, you know, the, the, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, as late as the, the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, when people were still being massacred. Um, in the American West. Um, and often these disputes were over resources. It was over grazing land. It was over mining disputes. It was over agricultural land. Um, uh, so it was, you know, access to resources, access to land and power, uh, as well as difficult issues of identity. Um, you know, there was a massacre of Chinese miners, for instance, in Wyoming um, by, by white uh, miners of European origin. Um, um, and when we think about the near future for the United States in particular, um, and we think of all the, well, that can't happen, that won't happen, that wouldn't happen. Um, these are things that did happen and it wasn't actually very long ago uh, at all. Um, so reading all of that has certainly made me, made me think our, our sense of ourselves as civilized beings. I mean, then this is, I mean, of course, people thought World War I was the war to end all wars, and then World War II happened, and so on, and then World War II happened, we got the UN Charter, you know, never again, the, so the scourge of war, et cetera, um, uh, and yet, and yet, and yet, that we are a species, we keep thinking, well, now we're really out of the woods, um, and we keep being wrong. So that, that's my primary takeaway. Um, well, that is very useful. I'll tell you, uh, just apropos of what we were talking about earlier, um, 
There was a book called The Age of AI, which was written by Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt and Daniel um, Hutton Locker. Um, and I don't recommend it. I don't think it was very good. <laughs> yeah, there was, I agree. I agree. Uh, um, there was, however, a book called The New Fire, um, which was written uh, uh, in part by Ben Buchanan, who's the chief White House uh, advisor on AI, and actually the guy who wrote the um, executive order on AI. And it's a great history of AI. Um, That's a and, and so if you're going to go start someplace, uh, it's a really good one. But I will tip the hand of, of what I'm writing about um, to say that I'm one of those who believes that the changes associated with AI will actually be really, really big. Um, and that before we read books on how you regulate it or you know how you compete in the age of AI, uh, I think it may make sense to start with some books about the philosophy of these issues and what kind of world we want to see, um, uh, given the options that are ahead of us in front of AI, both in terms of social contract and in terms of the ethics of it. And and one of the best books on this, which is a number of years old, uh, but by one of the philosophers who looks at this is a guy named Nick Bostrom, who wrote a book called Superintelligence. Um, and if you want to start looking at the philosophy behind AI, that's a good one. So there you have it. Um, uh, some book recommendations uh, and some ways to look back on the year. Next week, we'll talk about the year ahead. Corey will begin with you know, her predictions for 2024, and the rest of us will drink heavily throughout. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think it's too early to tell what's going to happen in 2024. <laughs> Thank you, John. Lie. It's it's too early. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, Rosa has once again proposed that we introduce a podcast that involves drinking beforehand. So and it will it will be recorded at a different bar each time. Yes, Corey. We'll go from we'll go from bar to bar. Each podcast will be recorded from a different location, a different undisclosed location. I am in. This would be a yeah. pod crawl. A pod crawl. I love it. A, a pod crawl. Yeah. Nice. Pod crawl. Very, very nice. Very nice there, uh, Ed. Um, yeah, that's we 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 a long time ago, like literally eight years ago, when we started fooling around with podcasts. Somebody came up to us and said, "Let's do a podcast called Two Drink Minimum." <laughs> and start started with that. Um, so who knows? Maybe we'll get there. But if we do, we'll get there all together because we continue to enjoy these conversations among ourselves and are delighted that you continue to join them. Here we are, six and a half years into this. The audience is bigger than ever. The weekly downloads are higher than ever. It's still of all of our podcasts, the number one podcast. Every single week for most of those six and a half years, it's been one of the top 10 politics podcasts uh, anywhere. And um, so we're going to keep doing it until you dissuade us because it seems, seems, seems to be going okay. This month, as I've said before, is the first month that the DSR Network has had a million downloads of its podcasts. 
um, which uh, for which we thank all of you who are spending all the time. Or if it's just one of you who's listened to everything a million times. <laughs> a million times. Especially, especially. We're great. that good. People do well, that. I got to tell you, you know, I'm very, I love our listeners. You know, Corey is always very um, generous yes, to them. Yes, nerds are favorite nerds. They are some of the favorite. And we learned something. Don't we call our this. listeners nerds. Well, it is I'm telling you they're from me. They're very glamorous individuals. Yeah, that's yeah, but nerds. And th- and so and we did this event this week, and um, one of them flew halfway across the country to come to the thing. Um, and uh, and as did, and many others just came in. So, in any event, um, uh, we uh, look forward to having you join us again next week. We're grateful for you joining us now. And um, uh, until then, bye-bye.